in coach we're ready to play this is the sporting record here on 855 am 3cr you're joined by just james today john is off to central asia some would say it's for a holiday but i would say it's to survey the sporting landscape in central asia that's what he's doing that's the only reason he's going he's there to work he's not there to relax but no have a good holiday john and m's out in the bloody community legal land fighting for people's rights so go do that and well done so it's just me today we've got a fascinating interview coming up uh, that i'll be happy to play you with patrick walker the ceo of the australian sports foundation about a pretty pretty uh disturbing you'd say disturbing statistic that came out of one of their research projects that about 50% of Australian athletes are living below the poverty line and are really feeling the pinch, both financially and mentally, from the cost of living crisis right now. So we've got that coming up shortly. Uh, but first, I'd just like to acknowledge that this broadcast is being broadcast uh, from the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung peoples of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded, and we'd like to pay our respects to elders past and present. So before we jump into the interview with Patrick Walker, uh, just going to give you a little update on the Spanish football situation, what some have dubbed Kissgate, uh, the act of the president of the Spanish Football Federation uh, forcefully and without consent kissing a player on the biggest stage after Spain's win in the Women's World Cup just recently. We've covered that last week pretty extensively, but we have an update. So the coach of the team, Jorge Vilda, has been sacked officially. So recently, Rubiales, the president who committed the uh, the awful act, the abusive act, he made a, a pretty astounding speech. He's been stood down by FIFA, so the the global body of soccer, for his for his conduct. But he came out recently and basically get went on this tirade saying that he's never going to resign, he's never going to stand down, despite 81 players across Spain who have availabilities for the national team withdrawing their support and withdrawing themselves from selection. So basically saying, we're not going to play under Jorge Vilda and Luis Rubiales, and a number of staff members as well. Nonetheless, he came out and gave this big tirade saying he won't resign, and in fact, even though Jorge Vilda is part of the problem, as per the players, who has been cited as basically a bully and a misogynist, um, creating an environment and a culture that was just pretty oppressive to these players, um, threw his weight behind Jorge, said that he was going to pay him 500,000 euros a year for four years, and then just kept saying over and over, I will not resign. Now, that's, that's a pig-headed man who doesn't know when to step away, doesn't know the pain and uh, the trouble that he's caused, and 
that's just astonishing that we have to continually fight against these pigheads. So, nonetheless, uh, the Spanish Federation, the RFEF, sacked Luis, uh, Jorge Vildas, but then sung his praises as well. So the, they're kind of, they're relenting to the pressure that rightly should be applied to these men in charge of women's football for some reason, especially when they're abusive and misogynist. But when they sacked him, they sung his praises by saying, we value his impeccable personal and sporting behaviour, being a key piece in the remarkable growth of women's football in Spain. During his extensive period, Vilda has been a promoter of the values of respect and sportsmanship in soccer. That is contrary to what the players have been saying for a long time now. 15, even last year, 15 players stood down um, in protest over him. The message doesn't seem to have gotten through that the culture and the environment that he created was not good for Spanish football and for the players who can be given the main credit in growing the game, despite that coach. And they continue to say that the RFEF, the Spanish Federation of Football, is great for his work as the head of the women's national teams as well as the success achieved, successes achieved during his stage crowned with the recent achievement of the World Cup. So I, I refer to a, a really good article from The Guardian about this, uh, written by Suzanne Rack, uh, titled Jorge Vilda is gone, but this must be the beginning, not the end. And Rack put it really easily, uh, really nicely, saying, The support for Vilda, even on his exit, is a kick in the teeth to every player that has fought to have their complaints against oppressive environments taken seriously. I, I think that's pretty pretty nicely put. The good news out of all this situation is that Vilda has been replaced by Monte Tome, Monte Tome, who was the former assistant coach of the team and was one of those who resigned after the Rubiales speech in protest of him and Vilda. And she becomes the first woman to manage Spain's women's national team. So this is good. This is really good. It's a step in the right direction, but it does need to be more than that. Um, Again, in the Guardian article, they referred to um, a former Spanish international player, Vero Boquet, who said it's important to not talk about switching from one manager to another. It's much deeper than that. And that the whole episode was proof that they don't understand the problem and they missed an opportunity to make bigger change. So as Rack points out in the title, this has got to be the beginning, not the end, of getting rid of these. You could you could use many uh, many bad words, but these bad people. Let's just put it that way: these pig-headed people that are in charge of these these groups, especially for a group of women who are pioneering the game and having to navigate so many brick walls and oppressive structures already. So it's a symbolic move. But hopefully Tomei can rally the troops, rally the players, and they can go on to more success, because I think um, they really deserve it. So that's that. That's, that's the update on the Spanish football front. And I want to just turn to a good news story, I guess you could call it. It's the AFLW kicked off this weekend, just gone. And it was an absolute cracker of a round. So just some highlights, you know, I went to this game, I went to Melbourne against Collingwood at Icon Park 
and Melbourne beat Collingwood a dominant display. The quality of the football was just astounding. Um, the structures, the strategy, the team play, all that sort of stuff. It was fantastic. Um, another high note was that Sydney won their first ever game in a nail-biter against GWS. Their first ever game. They came into the competition last year, Sydney did. They didn't win a game. And with the first game of the, the next season, their second season overall, they won in a nail-biter. I think it was five points. So it was just a great round. My team, Essendon, beat the Hawthorne, which is always nice, down at Frankston. So the investment in the women's game, in the women's AFL code, is Definitely, definitely paying off. Bigger crowds, amazing football, and I think the um, the World Cup momentum is spilling over into women's footy right now. Not just AFL, but rugby and, and soccer and, and all of it. It's all coming together. And the investment is paying off. And this is um, in the same week that the AFL announced that they're going to pay an enormous amount of money to get Kiss, the rock band Kiss, to play at the grand final. Now, there are no official figures for how much they're paying them, but it's going to be over a million dollars. I mean, come on. How are you going to get Kiss over here to play at a grand final? It takes a lot of money. And this is after they got Robbie Williams to play at the grand final last year. And, look, in all honesty, the pre-game grand final entertainment, in my view is kind of a waste of time getting these big people in because we're prepping for the game. We're, you know, we're, we're cooking snags and, and, and we're talking to each other and we're stocking the fridge, you know, for the game. So we're barely paying attention, you know. Oh, look, there's Kiss, huh? They look old, you know. I mean, come on. Um, imagine what we could do with this money, investing it further into the women's game, into, into smaller clubs, um, you could say that they're already doing that, but we need way more. The quality of the women's football is amazing considering the the, the little amount of investment AFL is doing compared to what they could do. And I guess you could go further and say that they're taking money from gambling companies, essentially, for advertising and marketing and just pissing it away on getting bands like Kiss to come in. Now, I've never been involved in the AFL, but, you know, come on, priorities. Priorities, AFL. But nonetheless, nonetheless, um, it's going well. It's going well. Uh, Missy Higgins did play at the AFLW, um, and I've heard I've heard rumours that it was for free. And Missy Higgins is a legend. Um, I saw her. She played Scar. It was a great time. And you know, I've I've said this before, but just imagine if we could get Australian artists to play at the grand final. As an investment in our local music industry, you know, and just the, the message that it sends is, ah, we'll get, we'll get Meatloaf 2.0 over here, you know, that'll that'll make everyone happy. Hmm, local local talent, and Australia's got a bunch of it. So there you go, that's my little two cents. Um, we're going to jump to a few announcements now, and then when we come back, we'll go to our interview with Patrick Walker, the CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation. Oh, 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 
The revolution in Rojava is a beacon of hope for the world, putting direct democracy and feminism into practice on a broad scale. This radical attempt at social transformation now faces huge challenges, including daily attacks by the Turkish military with little outside recognition or aid. Show your support for Rojava by joining North East Syria Solidarity, or NESS, and help ensure the survival of this inspiring experiment in social change. NESS sends aid, raises awareness, and builds solidarity. Get involved at www.nessolidarity.org.au. NESS is a 3CR supporter. Public transport's great. What's not great is that unless you've got a radio with you, you can't listen to 3CR when you're on it. Until now. The Community Radio Plus app lets you listen to us wherever you are. Get on board and search Community Radio Plus wherever you get your apps. Dunbar Law's Legendary Trivia Night returns yet again to light up the social calendars of the best and brightest minds in Melbourne. Come down to Richmond Town Hall on Friday the 15th of September to raise much-needed funds for the incredible 3CR. The night starts at 6.30pm and will feature awesome trivia capped off with a giant game of limbo and dancing. Get your tickets now, available on Humanitix on the 3CR website. You are here on 3CR 855 AM Radical Radio. This is James on the Sporting Record, just by myself. No M, no John, I'm taking it solo. And we're going to play for you now a fascinating interview I did last week with uh, Patrick Walker, who is the CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation. He played sport all his life, he worked in consulting and then became representative of ASF, who are doing some great research into how we can make athletes in this country more comfortable because they're under a lot of financial and mental stress, as you can imagine. It's a cost of living crisis, everyone's affected, but athletes aren't the first ones that come to your mind when when we think cost of living crisis. So this is really, really interesting. So without further ado, here's our interview with Patrick Walker. All right, Patrick, thank you for coming to The Sporting Record today. It's great to speak with you, James. So some research recently uncovered that there are quite a lot of funding and cost of living pressures on athletes in this country at the moment. Uh, what brought this research project about? We wanted to check in on our representative athletes and see how they're doing, uh, both financial and in terms of other support. You know, we're at the start of a very exciting decade. We've got Brisbane 2032 Olympic and Paralympic Games coming up at the end. And a lot of major events happening in Australia. So we wanted to check in really on the financial and mental health of our athletes. Fantastic. So in this uh, research, uh, cost of living and funding pressures were quite pronounced as it stands at the moment. What sort of pressures are there on athletes right now? Well, they're pretty severe. Of course, look, we're all, we're all facing the cost of living crisis. The thing that really jumps out of this research is that around half of our representative athletes, and we're talking here about the athletes who compete at Olympic and Paralympic Games and Commonwealth Games, uh, are earning less than $23,000 a year. Now, that's a level that puts them below the poverty line. Uh, and set against that uh, level of earnings, they've got a lot of out-of-pocket costs. So, you mm. know, travel, accommodation, travel to, to competitions and meets, 
nutrition, physiotherapy, and medical costs. So not only is their income low and uh, uh, volatile, their costs are increasing, and it's really a financial squeeze they're facing. It does, and I'm sure given that how much dedication and time needs to be put into their events or their sports, that there's not much opportunity to get extra income on the side as well. That's right. These figures, by the way, are income they get from all sources, not just their athletics, but if they are able to hold down you know, a part-time job. And, and the reality is that uh, many of the athletes are being supported by their families. So, mm. you know, the good old bank of mum and dad is, is, is footing the bill. And what that raises is a concern that, uh, okay, if you're a talented athlete and you come from a, a, a middle or high income family, you've got the opportunity to fulfill your potential. But what about those who come from lower income families who probably be lost to the sport? And I think that's, that's a concern for the nation as a whole. There would be incredible potential out there that just wouldn't have enough support to get to the elite levels, I'm sure. Absolutely, and that's what really what this sort of survey is is shining a light on, uh, and it's a concern that we will either not not secure those talented athletes from lower-income families or they'll be lost to their sports. Mm. So in addition to financial stress, what often happens from what the research says and other things I've been reading, that it often leads to a lot of other mental health burdens in particular on athletes. Uh, did the research come up with much about that? Yeah, it certainly did. I mean, um, a, a very shocking statistic that let out was that 28% of the athletes uh, had measured a worsening in their mental health this year. Wow. And I think we've got to remember that being an athlete is a, is a tough gig. Uh, you know, you've always got the pressure of your next meet, gaining enough points to qualify for a particular event, the financial insecurity that we've talked about, the guilt of uh, putting such a burden on your families as well. So mm. we have a significant and increasing mental health concern among our elite athletes here, which also needs to be uh, thought about, I think. Definitely, definitely. Um, in the media release, there were a number of funding needs identified by the ASF. Uh, what can you tell me about those? Well, we asked the athletes what they felt their funding priorities should be uh, coming through to Brisbane 2032. Um, and really, you know, there was a clear feeling that more initiatives to keep teenagers in sports, some of the issues that I've, I've, I've talked about here, remembering it's our teenagers who are going to be representing the nation at Brisbane in 2032, mm. um, more investment and funding for pathway athletes and for current athletes, talent identification programs, uh, and expanding school programs to, to talk about bringing in the next generation. So there were a whole range of issues they felt funding should be uh, should be applied to. Oh, fantastic. So what kind of formal supports are in place at the moment to support athletes who might be under pressure at the moment? Well, that's really where the ASF steps in, and that's what we're trying to do off the back of this, um, of this survey. Uh, we run a fundraising platform that enables people who love sport, members of the local community of specific athletes and the philanthropic community to make tax-deductible donations to support the athlete of their choice. We've already got uh, hundreds of athletes uh, on our platform and we're hoping as a result of this uh, survey, we're going to get a lot more athletes there. So we're trying to bring in new private and philanthropic money to help fill the gap. Mm, fantastic. That sounds like a wonderful initiative. Um Outside of the Bank of Mum and Dad, you touched on a few different sources of potential uh, fundraising and income and revenue raising that can support these athletes. What sort of different streams come to mind? 
Well, obviously, there are, there's definitely some um, grants available from state and national um, academies and institutes of sport, and, and certainly athletes who can reach that level uh, will be gaining those. There's some support available from national and state sporting organizations as well. And then you really, uh, aside from our fundraising platform, you're looking at maybe some local sponsors, uh, and as I've said, family support. The, the avenues for funding are fairly limited uh, unless an athlete then tries to hold down a part-time job as well as training and competing at the highest level. Mm. One particular one that really caught my eye is the potential of philanthropy, like you mentioned, to really help uh, bridge this gap, I suppose you could call it. Uh, how does philanthropy fit into the picture and what's the, uh, what's the big sell to potential philanthropists? The big sell, I think, is that sport plays a, a fundamental part in Australian life. We all experienced the joy recently with the performance of the Matildas in the, in the FIFA Women's World Cup. And the, the Olympic and Paralympic Games and the Commonwealth Games can have a similar impact on the nation. But we're not going to achieve that if the athletes aren't able to give of their best. Uh, and a lot of athletes potentially quit their sport. So a model that works very well in the arts sector is um, philanthropists acting as patrons to support emerging and aspiring and talented artists. And we think that kind of model can really work well in a sporting context Mm. because you're not only helping the individual athlete, but you're also helping the wider community who care about sport. Yeah, fantastic. I like the uh, link to the arts sector. I've, I've always held, held the view that sport is an art form itself. It's a kinetic art form, and it can really enrich our lives in so many ways that often aren't really talked about. So that's great to hear. I f- uh, look, I fully agree with you. I think they fill a, si- a similar role in our communities. You know, people who participate in the arts, and when I was young, I was singing in the squir- choir and acting mm. on the stage. You know, that was uh, great for building my resilience, my life skills, building my confidence. And it was just important to me as as playing football and rugby and cricket, which were the other ways that I I kind of socialized and built my life as a young person. So I think the arts and sport for a similar role. uh, But philanthropy at the moment is contributing far more into the arts than it is to sport. and, And we'd like to change that, not by taking from the arts, but by giving philanthropy the opportunity to contribute to sport. Yeah, in the release, it said that if philanthropy did fill some of the gap, uh, it could even potentially double the funding into sport by Brisbane 2032. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. We think the, you know, we were raising for sport the same amount of philanthropic funds as are raised for the arts. That's a level of $350 million a year. And that would really go a long way to filling the gap that we see currently, um, you know, in, in funding at community sport and for our emerging and aspiring athletes. Fantastic. I might change a little uh, little tack here. You mentioned the World Cup and how galvanizing for the nation it was. You've been the CEO of the ASF for well, since 2014, I believe. In your time, you know, really in, at the heart of the sport sector in this country, was there anything parallel to the World Cup's success, do you think? I don't, in my time in the sporting sector, there's been nothing that's gripped the nation so completely. Um, Mm. Now, I'm told, and I wasn't over here at the time, but I'm told that the Sydney Olympics had a similar effect where really the whole whole nation was engaged and the whole nation was sharing in the the success in the Cathy Freeman moment and the other moments. And I think that that's that's probably the nearest comparator, but certainly in my time engaged in sport here in Australia, um, the, the FIFA Women's World Cup was unique. It was incredible experience to be part of.
Mm, and I just I just dream about how many more Sam Kerr's could come into the fold given this event and potential funding that could come into it afterwards. We saw the government kick in an extra, I think it was $200 million into women's sports, and hopefully the bandwagon keeps moving. That's right, and you just need to, you know, my, my, my sport, James, is still playing soccer at my ripe old age, but mm. I, when I go to the ovals on a Sunday morning to play, you know, on adjoining ovals, there's under-11s girls, under-13s, 15s, and, and over-35s women as well. It's fantastic to see the female participation in soccer. It really is fantastic. Uh, the Paris Olympics are just around the corner. Uh, in the lead-up to that Olympics, I'm sure there's a fair bit of funding opportunities or needs in the sporting community. Uh, what can you tell me about the roadmap and how people could get involved to support athletes on their journey there? Well, once again, there is definitely a need, and I think there's, a, there's an immediate way to help there. Again, jumping on our website, looking at the athlete section, the individual athlete section, even just searching Paris Olympics 2024, you'll see tens if not hundreds of aspiring athletes who are seeking to raise funds to help their journey to Paris. And I'd say to anybody listening, look for an athlete from the sport that you love. Look for an athlete from your local community or who used to go to your junior school or whatever it might be and chip in a little bit to help them on their journey. You'll feel great when they get to Paris and represent the nation. Mm, I'm looking forward to the Olympics. Um, and I it's guess it's amazing. It's going to be amazing. I mean, I just watched the World Athletics Championships and I was absolutely gripped by the show that Budapest put on. And I can only dream about the uh, the Olympics coming around the corner. Yeah, it was just outstanding. And again, Australia did, did very well in track and field, which has not historically been a great strength. So it's really exciting to see that talent emerging. Fantastic. Now, thanks for your time, Patrick. I really appreciate it. And just for the listeners at home, if they would like to support an athlete or support the ASF in their work, how can they get involved? Just jump on our website, asf.org.au, and search for those athletes you want to support. If you'd like to chat with us about helping more broadly, whether it's at community sport level or, or our emerging athletes, um, get in touch with us on the info line on that website. and We'd love to have a chat. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Patrick. It's been wonderful. Thanks, James. Great to speak with you. That was Patrick Walker, CEO of the Australian Sports Foundation. And just to reiterate, if you would like to get involved with the ASF and potentially fundraise an athlete or a sport or a club, just go to their website, asf.org.au, and there's a nice little button called Explore Fundraising Projects, and that's where all the different projects are. So there you go. Uh, to round out the show today, I think I'm just going to play uh, my favorite sports song. You know, they they come in all different shapes and sizes. And this one's one of the more sillier ones. But I think it really speaks to sport and having a good time and all, all those great themes. Um, so this is called Sports by the one and only Viagra Boys.
for a call.